Welcome to episode 71 of Music Nerds Unite. This is Scott Floman again with my brother Keith Floman and our buddy Larry Waldman. In this episode, we'll be doing a draft of the best songs of 1974. And like in our prior recent episodes, we'll each draft five songs apiece via a snake draft. The intro song was picked by Keith, who's going to say a few words about it. All right. That was a whole lot of weird, I guess. I think it's called A Life. It's A-L-I-F-E, although... The song, the lyrics, he says Alifi um, many times. So it's a little bit unclear as to how to pronounce a life, but that's what it's called. It's on the album Rock Bottom, and you can maybe guess why it was called Rock Bottom. He was in some bands from the UK in the, in the 60s, and he sort of has, as you can tell, very jazz influence. The Talk um, Machine was his most well-known band before he went solo. In 1973, he was uh, apparently at a party and a little intoxicated, and he fell out of a fourth-floor window and severed his spine and became paralyzed, I think, below the waist. So, yeah, that would kind of put you at rock bottom. And so that was right before this album in 1974, when he, I think this was like the beginning of his solo, uh, his solo career. He, he had a lot of connections in the industry. I, I know Pink Floyd was sort of one of his, like, I think they actually threw like a benefit for him. Uh, Nick Mason produced the album. Yeah, that, that's him. There you go. Um, he's had some influence post, you know, of, of more recent years. I think he did a collaboration with Bjork, probably some others. But anyway, I know there's another song on that album that probably is a little bit more, um, you know, less avant-garde and, but still, you know, a little, a little out there. Guys, you want to, you guys said you got it on your, on your draft board, but this one is, you know, it stands out a little bit more to me just in terms of it's sort of, um, you know, again, it's got that, Jazz, jazzy feel. It's got horns. Yeah, you know, it's weird. It's got horns. It's weird. <laughs> horns. It's it. The lyrics are weird. You know, it's moody. Uh, the vocal, yeah, exactly. But it's it's pretty cool. So and I think the album overall is pretty worth sort of investing in uh, at least deep. once. To... Not not deep like the song. Like this is this is going deep in terms of music. <laughs> My instructions were to not have a you know a, a song that might be a 
their draft pick. So that's true. Uh, Although the, the mere fact that you have a different track on an album that both Scott and I had a, a possible draft pick, like I, it would have been, I would have had it been in the right. Yeah, yeah, so the pick I'm sure Larry was also thinking of was the sea, sea song, song yeah. which is an incredible song with an amazingly emotional and singular vocal performance, I think, above all else. There's a little bit of a Peter Gabriel kind of, he sounds a little like him, but he, he's very uniquely his own thing. The he's album happy. is very uniquely its own thing. And I would second Keith's uh, recommendation. It's, it's definitely worth a try because there's no album quite like it. No. It's an acquired taste, but I think it's more something either you like or you don't, right? Either that's, it's in your, it's either in your wheelhouse of, you know, that something you've, you're willing to invest in or it's not. I would say you probably need to give it more than one listen because I, I, my guess is if you give it one listen, it's probably not going to be in your wheelhouse. Yeah, it's definitely a cult favorite. It certainly deserves a spot on Music Nerds Unite. For sure. Absolutely. For sure. All right. So, the first pick for 1974 goes to Keith, followed by me and then Larry, and reverse it for round two and so on for five rounds. And I'll do my usual spiel here. A uh, reminder that for these songs, we're not going to be too strict with regards to release date. If it was released as a single or on an album in 1974, it's fair game. And live versions are allowed in special cases, and songs can be picked from any genre. And remember, we have links to associated playlists in the notes to the episode. So, you guys have any general comments about '74? Do you, do you really want my comments for '74 no, before no, the not until, not until at least not until at least half the podcast is over, because we don't want people to drop off immediately. Yeah, better than '72, right? I'll just say that '74 was a harder year for me to get into. It's definitely a deeper cut year. I think a lot of the songs that are at least are on my list right now. They're probably not songs that people know uh, as much. Like, it, if you look at the top 100 Billboard for 1974, it's not rock. There's so much non-rock in 1974, but that doesn't mean there's not great stuff to listen to. You just have to dig a little bit deeper like Keith did for the opening track. 72 is hard because it just wasn't that good a year. 74 is hard because it's a deeper cut Right, it's it's less obvious, it's but not it's still obvious. exactly. But it's a good year. It's not a yeah. bad year for music. The songs that I think we're gonna pick are not necessarily gonna have the same place in in pop culture as songs from seventy three, seventy one, seventy. But you know, again, I think there's a depth to seventy four. And the other thing about 74 is the decade is starting to establish itself as set like this is 70s music, right? Like like you're you're distancing yourself from the 60s and yeah, for sure. And and you're there's a certain um you know, certain elements are sort of emerging that are different from both the 60s and the 80s. Yeah, and and 74 I would I would say also it's like there's going to be two things that kind of define it. There's not going to be any song where we're like, oh my God, I can't believe we didn't pick that song. Everyone knows that song. It's a deeply weird year. Like again, if you look at all the different types of music, it's a very transitional type of year. I agree with you guys. No Floyd, no Zep, no Sabbath. Some of the giants took the year off. There's no Stairway. There's no Layla. The picks aren't as obvious, but there's a lot of good stuff. So I'm curious to see what we come up with. And Keith, you're up. It's time for the first pick. What song do you consider to be the best song of 1974? 
I think I know what song you're going to pick, even though it may not be the obvious pick to most people, but let's find out. All right, so I had a, I had a few, you know, like like Scott said, there's no obvious number one here. And, you know, I was going back and forth, but, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes Scott is right. And I, it's, it's not often, but sometimes Scott is right. And sometimes you just got to go for the bigger, more ambitious song. So that's that's where we're going here. Before I play this, what that wasn't um, what I thought? I actually, after some deeper thought, I thought this might be it. Was this on your list too? This was number one on my draft board. This was number one on my draft board too. What about the clip? I took the Keith way out and played just the beginning, but I don't. Oh, I didn't. I was I, just too lazy. I started. I started at eight oh two. I was there at some point, but I, you know, again, this song. Look, it's an investment. To like the album's an investment. The song is an investment. It's not going to be immediately recognizable to probably eighty percent of of our audience, but play the team. Starless, and it is the intense, ambitious monster closer from King Crimson's 1974 album, Red, sort of really like the end of phase one of, of, of King Crimson that, you know, that started with one of the iconic 
albums of all time was was that 69 yeah course? let me correct that a little bit there was the first incarnation with greg lake which is basically the first two albums then they had a third album with a different lineup a fourth album with another lineup and then five six and seven were with this lineup which was basically the second classic king crimson lineup <laughs> yeah but I, I, I was ma- and bill bruford I was mainly making the point that they sort of went on hiatus after 74, right? Yes, they did, until the Adrian Bellu, Tony Levin lineup in the early 80s. Yeah, so 74 to like 81, I think, was their, was their gap. So that, that was, I wasn't saying that, that they never had a consistent, <laughs> uh, really a, a consistent lineup. I mean, if you look at their band members, they've they've probably been 50 people in King, in King, King Crimson over over their their lifetime but they have several classic lineups and this is definitely one of them yeah yep and again this album was spectacular and an all-time classic probably second to court of the crimson king which again is was in our album tournament is one of the greatest albums of all time so starless is just starless is flawless right i mean again it's it's long um but it's epic it it's got like literally everything more music to be honest though like if you're picking a clip fallen angel has some moments in it that it can rival uh starless to um so so does red the opener yeah red i think a little less so than i mean falling angel, like but fair enough, fair enough. great but album anyway. to me it had to be starless though Oh, to- to- right. totally. The, the beginning yeah. guitar yeah. is some of Fritz's most gorgeous guitar playing. You have that heavy midsection where you could see where bands like Tool were influenced by them. And then that just chaotic ending that we have with the climax with the sax comes in is, is just spectacular. So to me, it's all there, right? Just one of the greatest progressive rock songs by one of the greatest progressive rock bands. And the number one song. For 1974 on the best ever albums website that we like to reference, so they agree with us. But not, but not other. Again, you have lots of other ranking sites that don't have this anywhere near the top. Right. Well, it's not a radio song. It's not a, a popular song. So, but a lot of websites do it by by critics' ratings and whatnot. So it, it is it is funny that it's very hit and miss. Rate your music has this very highly rated too, but I think it has read as like the twenty fifth best album of all time or something like that. Or it's in the top twenty or top twenty five, something like that. Yeah, so, those are two sites that are friendly to progressive rock, which critics yeah. traditionally have not been kind to as well. So that, that's partially why. All right, now I sweat it out while you guys pick uh, two songs before it gets back to me. Yep, and great pick. So this next song is the best song by this quintessentially laid-back West Coast singer-songwriter, and it's also one of my favorite songs ever. And for another hint, it was used to excellent effect in the classic movie Taxi Driver.
That was Late for the Sky by Jackson Brown, the title track to his excellent album of the same name. His best album, in my opinion, and the music on the album is perfectly captured by the evocative album cover, and it's always a cool thing when that happens. This is just a beautifully sad and melancholic song with deep lyrics. Brown, in general, is an excellent lyricist, and David Lindley's outro guitar solo, which we just played, provides a perfectly cinematic ending. I'd say it's weird that this was really high on my draft board, too. It's almost the exact same. <laughs> this is not a a clip that people are going to know I don't generally. Even, I don't think it's a song that people would like. I, most yeah. people would probably not pick this as one of their, like, if you said, name three Jackson Brown songs. This is no, not. No. And this, this wasn't a fast song. This wasn't a fast song. In my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, iconic scene there too, just like Taxi Driver. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit different. I had this on my list too. I didn't have it quite as high though. Like this, this would have made it back to you, Scott. Yeah, I don't know that it would have been my next pick, but it was. Yeah. It was up. It was high. It's high on my board, and I definitely wanted to pick it. There's no way it was going throughout without getting picked. Yeah, I definitely wasn't saving this one. I wanted this to be picked because I know there are some other songs on that album that could be picked. Yeah, I had, I had another Before one. Before the Deluge, Fountain of Sorrow, for two examples. Before the Deluge is the one I had. Yeah. But to me, this is his best song from his best album. And Jackson Brown, you know, he could be a little bland at times, right? Kind of a little boring. He peaked early, but at his best, man really good and i saw him a couple years ago and he still brings it live his band was phenomenal he's kind of overlooked i think really talented singer songwriter yeah this is sort of what i saw like this song is quintessential 70 yeah. right like this is smack like middle of the decade just exemplifies sort of the, the mood of that of that era well, I feel like singer-songwriter, at least 70s singer-songwriters, kind of morphed into indie, right, now. But it just doesn't have that same feel because indie rock now, where you do have this kind of stuff, it's either very underproduced, right? Like, you know, guys just doing it in their apartment or in, you know, some backwoods cabin. Or it's more slickly produced. And, and this is this is sort of in the middle, so... It's a, it's just not the same. It's you're right. It's not the same vibe that it, the '70s singer songwriter stuff has. Right in the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Great tune. Check it out if you're not familiar with it. Larry, you're up with pick number three. Yep. Yep. Double picks.
detecting a theme in terms of mood and music going on. So it looks like we're going Prague. We're going Prague. We're We're going going a little Prague. Prague. Yeah. So that was Lady Fantasy by Camel off their uh, Mirage album. Prague band that's kind of underrated, I feel like. Not, Not known almost at all, but really, really awesome. This is a phenomenal album. And I'm going to go back to quite a lot, but great Prague band. I don't know why they never really caught on. I don't know what it is about them. I don't know, Scott, if you have any idea as to why they didn't catch they're, on. They're, they're Prague and their song is just 20 minutes long. That's yeah. you right up Prague people's alley. I think they're kind of the semi-legendary cult band, right? They did have a lot of different lineups. They kind of went more pop later on, but... I agree. Great song, great album. I love their next album, The Snow Goose, all instrumental. One of my favorite albums, actually. Guitarist, leader, Andy Latimer, phenomenal guitar player. He's got almost like a David Gilmore type of emotion to his playing. Keyboards, prominent keyboards. You know, that's a very proggy, great musicianship. Maybe not great vocals, but... I picked the clip specifically because, you know, the vocals are like... They're okay, but then just the explosion of the guitars coming back in, it's just, it's great. And this is, this is sort of the end of a 12 minute song. So, and this, again, I think that, you know, this is an album where if you're even remotely into Prague, definitely worth checking out and a band to definitely check out. Mirage, the Snow Goose and Moon Madness are kind of their classic trilogy from the early to mid seventies. And a lot of people would say Mirage, where this song is from is their best though. I personally would vote for the Snow Goose. And I was just going to add that, you know, once I picked, once I had the first pick and I had Starless at number one, I sort of camels off my, off my draft board. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, you, can't get too, you can't get too proggy. Yeah. Can we say a shout out for Yes is the Gates of Delirium too? I don't think we're going to pick that, but another no, no, sidelong awesome prog song. Yeah. Only because we're probably a little progged out. Although I have another prog song on my draft board. I don't know if you do too, Scott, but I'd be surprised if it's not at least an honorable mention. We'll see. I've kind of passed the Prague baton to you guys in this episode. (laughs) Fair enough.
so is that the, the fuck you in advance song? No. Well done with the pick, for sure. Yeah. That's a that great song. That may have been my next pick. Yeah, this is a classic. So that was September Girls by Big Star off their uh, their album Radio City. I mean, that's just a perfect pop song. To me, it's just such a classic. You could play that in any era, and it would still be an awesome song. I don't know. There's something about it. Always puts a smile on my face. It's just a phenomenal. It's not long. It's like two and a half minutes long, but it's just so well executed. It's so perfect for me. Uh, it is a great pop song. It's a great pop song. Yeah. The swooning ooze into that ringing guitar break is one of those magical moments, right? Yeah, it's just so perfection. It's so good. And and I, I just had to, I didn't, I really did not think it was going to make it all the way back. So there's no way I couldn't pick it now. I figured... There's too many picks between me and my next one to let this go. So shout out to Alex Chilton, as always. Yeah. So a little background about Big Star, right? So they were a great band who were doomed by bad luck and more specifically by bad record company distribution. So they're known as a premier power pop band, which you kind of heard in that song. But really, they were adept at a number of styles and were simply a great rock band. The first two albums are both great. Number one record we talked about in our honorable mentions previously, Radio City. Even their later, more downcast release, Third Slash Sister Lovers, is also great in its own way. So they were a great band who should have had number one records in a just world. Instead, they're an influential and critically revered cult band who should have been much bigger. Shout out to Big Star. That 70s show opener was Big Star, right? I, I, they may have been the Cheap Trick well, version. Well, but... Cheap Trick cover of a Big yeah, Star it was song. Yeah, cover. Yeah, yeah. And uh, trivia. Alex Chilton did have oh, some commercial success it. before Big Star. With what band? I know, I know this one, but I, I have to admit, I only know it because when I was, you know, doing my, my research, the box stops. And what were their two big songs? The letter. They're two big songs. I don't know if I can do both. I don't know what the other one is. Cry like a baby. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that. <laughs> I do have a little bit of trivia about this song, though. So, do you know why it was called September Girls? That's G U R L S, by the way. Do you know why it was called that? No. It's it's a tribute to California Girls by the Beach Boys. Mm. And to continue, Katy Perry's. 2010 California Girls song is spelled G-U-R-L-S because of September Girls. Nice. Didn't the Bangles cover this song also? They did. They did. That's right. And just also a shout out to Eric Bell, who is the uh, co-leader with Alex Chilton on their first album, Number One Record, which I had as a two-for-one CD with uh, Radio City back in the day with uh, Michael Disc. Yeah, definitely a great get. Anyway, he uh, did some good solo stuff later on. So the album, I Am the Cosmos, and specifically the song, I Am the Cosmos, is pretty great as well. And one, one final shout out to the replacements. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah. Yeah. I was also going to say, I'm the egg, I am the Eggman. <laughs> All right. So I, I apparently I took one of your picks, but I have no doubt that you have 65 other possible picks ready. I'm okay ready. with you taking this pick because I'm okay with you taking one of my songs. I'm not okay with you taking a song from an album that's not the one yeah. I would have picked. Right. So anyway, this is the song I'm picking next that I thought Keith was going to go with on the first song. And props to Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets for picking the best entrance song in Major League Baseball. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was Working Man by Rush, which is just an outstanding, ass-kicking hard rock song with great riffs and relatable everyman lyrics. I don't know, Scott. Is that that's metal to me, man? I, like I don't know. I go in the hard rock genre. I, hard rock, like metal. that's it's borderline. It's borderline, but back in '74, man, that's. Yeah, I mean, I think you would have put this with like you would have put this akin to Sabbath, right? I mean, that's what I hear. I hear like a little bit, right? It's yeah, heavy. It's, it's heavy. Dirty. It's, it's dirty, man. It's yeah, dirty. It's a dirty, grungy. Yeah, and it's you know what's really funny? I was going down some rabbit hole earlier today, like looking up, I don't know, something about some song. And it's it had a thing of like best heavy metal of 74. And this was on it. And I'm like, this isn't heavy metal. And then I'm like, no, it kind of is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it could pass for that for sure. As Gene Simmons you didn't said, they were like a Canadian Led Zeppelin. This is more metal than anything Zeppelin. More metal than anything Russian. Oh, there's either, Anthem. But... Anthem is up there. There's others. But yeah, it's but yeah obviously it's like it's early, right? This is early. This is early Rush. Yeah, pre-period. I mean, before he kind of added that kind of more sophisticated lyrics, the the more prog element. Yeah, this is more straightforward metal, like you say. They became more distinctive later on once Pierre joined the band, and they kind of found their own style. But this is a phenomenal song to me. This is a top five Rush song. Yeah, this was you know, there's always songs that I put on my list and then I just take off because I'm like. I'm not going to get to pick it. One of the two of you guys is going to pick it. So, this yeah, is- I know Keith loves this. I thought he was going number one with this. Starless makes sense. It's the more important, more epic song. But in terms of his favorite, I thought this would be number one. This is my number one Rush song. This or Temples uh, from Twenty One Twelve. But this is a great song. I it was on my board. It was on my board. I was going to pick it out of the top five. I don't know that it would have made the top part of my top five but i was it was not going if i didn't pick this was this your next pick no it was not gonna, it actually was not going to mm. which brings us to which brings us which to brings, your next pick exactly so you're on the, you're you, on you the left board. my you left my pick on the you left my pick on the board so again i was going to pick it at some point i told larry every adversity is a seed of equivalent opportunity the genius pat riley equivalent benefit <laughs> Uh, all right, here we go. This song is stuck in my head. And I just can't get rid of it, so it's coming here. Nice. Definitely a worthy picture. Yeah, no, well, I, I said I had one more prog song on my list, right? This is a prog band, but not really a prog song. Wow. They, they you know, when they go under six minutes, it's, it's hard <laughs> not to pick them. And a great album, and there were many other possible both choices from the album, but this is yep. the clear number one pick.
go. Carpet crawlers. Lamb dies down on Broadway. Genesis. Peter Gabriel. I think you can sort of make out Phil in the background, uh, in the backing vocals, but um, again, that song just, it lingers, right? Like, it can stay with you. Um, you know, the album is long. It's like a, it's an hour and a half. It's an hour and a half so, album. Do either of you guys actually know what the album's about? It's weird. You know how there's some albums where you know there's a story, but you're just not let you just the music takes you away. I'm like, I just don't listen to the lyrics as much like, or I listen to like snippets of it. So I know it's, it's sort of like an opera thing. You know, it's like a, there's a whole concept. I just don't know what it is. Or if I do, I only know bits of it. Oh, uh, quote gonna, Wikipedia. Gonna... It's a real story about Royale, a Puerto Rican youth in New York city and his spiritual journey of self-discovering identity as he encounters several bizarre incidents and characters along the way. Like most concept albums, it's really the music that matters, right? Music, yeah. And how is that not a hit, right? You hear occasionally on U.S. classic rock radio the title track, but you never hear the carpet crawl. I've never heard that song on the radio ever. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I have. Can we agree that Peter Gabriel is the greatest singer in Prague? The most emotional, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the Lamb Dies Down on Broadway was always like my favorite Genesis song just from a commercial standpoint, like a semi-commercial yeah. standpoint, right? But but this song is it's their yeah. best song. It's beautiful. It's perfect, like you said. All right? Not much more to say other than it's no. perfect. It's, What's next? It's a perfect, yeah, it's a perfect short prog song on a very long album. So, like, you gotta, like, it's, it's easy to digest a song. It's a lot harder to digest, you know, I do want to stump for the album. It is a great album. There are a lot of other really good songs. It is a bit much, like you always like to say, it's an investment. But it is definitely a great album. And the last Peter Gabriel era Genesis album, they changed direction after that. We're never quite the same. All right. So we are six picks into 1974. What's the most commercial song we've picked so far? Uh, Jackson Brown? No. <laughs> Jackson Brown. Is no, no. That song is like the least known Jackson Brown yeah. song. No, I don't think, I think the answer is uh, none. 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 So you're going you to bring us, you're going to bring us a little commercial? You, are you going with the way, the way we were? I thought that was 73. I thought the way we were 74. I think it charted in 74. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. One of those, it could be either. Yeah. Okay. Let's we'll all agree that the way we were is a fucking awesome song. I'm not. I, that's why I'm thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to pick it. We, we can't disagree because, again, mom loved it. All right. Uh, here's my pick. And the commercial? Nobody's ever heard of it. Ooh, wow. From obscure to more obscure. So you know why I sighed. You weren't going to pick this one. You had a different song. You had a different song. I did. You had "Babies on Fire." I did. Yep. Oh well. We may have to play that. <laughs> Boy, do, do, <laughs> is it? Does that qualify as it's a better one than this than this one? I think they're both great. They're very different. Yeah, they're very different. This clip is just great, though. <laughs> Thank you. 
night, that's Brian Eno, some faraway beach. And that's just a beautiful track and a beautiful ending to the song, right? It's very, um, Scott, who would you, who, who does that sort of remind you of a little bit? It's kind of, uh, well, first of all, the song title is great, right? It's beautiful. It kind of reminds me of like a Beach Boy song. I think it's like that was Actually, what I was going to say, that's where I was going. I was saying it'd be, it, there's a Beach Boy's, vibe to it not like the early you know uh, early early beach boys but you know pet sounds beach boys where you know this is again just a a depth to and maybe even a darkness right to the beautiful like sounds of of the song so i I was definitely i was i was thinking beach boys there and what's interesting is it's largely instrumental. It's really just at the end part yeah, where the vocals come in. And that's and, why and, the song is so great, right? Because it's just like, you know, it, it it sort of leads to that climax right there. And even though it's a restrained climax, it's still like there is a, I don't know, there's a deepness to it, right? There's a build. It's, it's got the feels. It's a Keith song. Yeah, it's Larry... I gotta say, I won't pick it, but and I, I this is an awesome album, but I do think Baby's on Fire is better. Just a different vibe. The, the guitar at the end of Baby's on Fire is fucking awesome. Yeah, so you got different, some, different. some like more rock and glam rock there, right? Yeah. So you know, plays guitar on that, right? I do. I'm pretty sure I do. It's the guy from King Crimson, right? Yeah, Robert Fripp, who has a lot of great guitar outside of King Crimson. That's one of the. Uh, Best examples. There's also Needle in the Camel's Eye from that album, Third Uncle, from their second album. He had two great albums in 74, and, and that had some great guitar as well from Phil Manzanera. What band is yep. he from, guys? Roxy Music. He knows that band. Man. Yeah. Oh, we so, didn't mention, um, yeah, we didn't mention Roxy yet, which is where we. You know, just left, I think, the year before, right? Yeah. We'll be hearing more of them. Uh... My favorite Roxy album is actually from 1974, Country Life. I'm not sure we're going to get to it. Pretty cool album cover, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it's a very good album cover. All right, I'm up. Larry, you're entitled to having you pick a different song. I haven't yet in this episode say you're wrong or your pick sucked yet i think i'm up actually yeah i know i'm just i'm just i'm commenting i'm commenting on larry picking a different song from that album i'm just saying that like yeah i mean sometimes sometimes it's certainly valid it'll be a killer clip i know that so anyway i'm struggling here because there's a few songs i want to pick but I'll go with this one. And Larry, you have to queue up Apple Music. All right, well, I know what yeah, album it is, so that'll make it yeah. easier. Well, maybe we know not. the artist. We know the artist. We know the album. So it's from an album that wasn't even commercially available for many years. Yeah, I definitely know what the I already have the album queued up. <laughs> Larry hasn't picked a funk or a disco or... Give me time. And I still can hear him say You're all just kissing Tell you you're just pissing in the wind. 
Tremendous song from his fantastic yet underrated On the Beach album. As mentioned before, for years the album wasn't even commercially available, but now it's rightfully regarded as a classic and one of Neil's best albums. This nearly nine-minute epic is a true tour de force with stream-of-consciousness lyrics, at times ultimately about Patty Hearst and Richard Nixon. One lyric goes, I never knew a man could tell so many lies which sadly sounds like most of our current politicians as well. The laid-back musical accompaniment is led by Neil's mournful harmonica and Rusty Kershaw's fiddle. It's hard to pinpoint what makes the song so great. It kind of stays in one zone all song long, but the song has a magic about it, the poetry and the ambiance and this overall air of melancholic weariness. Is there a more depressing instrument than the harmonica? Like, does anything exude... <laughs> despair more than the harmonica when done right like it's just uh like I, I it's, a perfect, marriage. That, it's a perfect marriage it's a perfect the last time right when i was like he, he's he's always been kind of like a grumpy cranky old bastard right and the harmonica fits because that's like the it's like the instrument of somebody who's you know constantly aggrieved and whatnot now i'm not saying he doesn't have a right to be aggrieved but yeah it's it's like right so I think I think like like some people should have the harmonica <laughs> perpetually on their like attached to their face so that they can just instead of speaking <laughs> they can just like breathe into the harmonica exactly. <laughs> they should have like a harmonica um, player just walking in back of them as their theme music. The album is a bit oppressive, right? Like. It's not a fun list. It's no, like it's the ri- like, it's like a Springsteen. Yeah. Uh, and this is almost a vote for the exactly, whole album. Like, like, like nobody really not on the album, but to me, it's it's a whole. Like it's a whole piece, right? It has exactly. a similar vibe. Yeah, it's, it's not a fun. It's not a fun. It's not a, like it's not a party album. <laughs> no, no. This is uh, this is but, something you know. It's like two o'clock in the morning. You're kind of sick of everyone still hanging around your house. You're like, you know what? Right. Let me put on the beach on it. Larry just finished disintegration. He's looking for <laughs> one more thing to put on before he falls asleep. Yeah. He's sharpening the razor. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
What do you think, though? Good tune, right? Great album. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. Album. Again, it's like saying it's a great album. It's it's a mood, right? It's a mood album. It's great sometimes, and sometimes it's like, oh my god, turn it off before I kill myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like Daniel Johnson, but it's pretty close. Nice reference. Thanks. All right. Something's last a long time. All right. We're moving on. Moving on. Waldman is uh, on the clock. I'm on the clock. I got, I got, clock for I got double picks. I'll play and then we'll do like last time, okay? Yeah. You yeah. don't have said anything. So there was a call for a little funk. I'm bringing the funk. So that was Red Hot Mama by Funkadelic from uh, their album Standing on the Verge of Getting It On, which is also a phenomenal track off that album. This is probably Funkadelic's most rock forward album, or at least most funk rock album. Like some great guitar by uh, by um, Eddie, Hazel, Eddie Hazel, who's a, a underrated guitar player it's some really great rock tunes great funk rock tunes on this album and you know what i just needed to i, I probably wasn't gonna i was gonna hold that because there was no way you guys were picking that for a while but need to change the vibe a little bit right i mean fat a lot of Prague. little they were going to neil young needed needed to needed to move things forward a little bit you can hear the influence into like you know music in the 80s and, and 90s and you know, in more in the rock, uh, like the Chili Peppers and and all the prop, uh, prop. Who's the metal band with the prong? bass? Prong. Is it prong or no? Very bass heavy with the oh, funky... Primus. 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 Yeah, Primus. Sorry. In one of our prior episodes, I said Sly and the Family Stone was the greatest funk rock band ever. Funkadelic to me are number two, the second greatest funk rock band ever. And it's one of my biggest regrets thus far in these episodes that we were not able to include Maggot Brain in 1971. The greatest accompanied guitar solo. Yes. With one of the greatest backstories as well. George Clinton tells Eddie Hazel, play like your mother just died. And then he plays the saddest, most emotional, most heart wrenching, maybe greatest guitar solo in the history of the world. Yeah. 
I, and, I feel and, just thinking and, about it. That is a fail on our part. We may have to we may have to do an all, a, a misses or something like that, an honorable mentions at the end. Yeah, after seventy-nine. But um, something else about Eddie. So he he actually left the you know Funkadelic Parliament Co-op because he was having disputes with um, George Clinton. But he came back for this album, and I believe he is he either has co-credit or full credit on writing almost every one of the songs. And you can tell he's back in this album because the guitar playing is just off the charts. It's so yeah, good. He's back full force. Full force, yeah. And he actually did credit, like the credit for the songs is his mother's name. It's not Eddie Hazel. So. And you could hear the influence into the like 80s and 90s with bands like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Primus, of course. And going back to Hendrix. Or Zeppelin. Oh, I thought you were going to throw in a Zeppelin. Yeah. That's a given. <laughs> of course, of course. We all know that everything basically comes back to Zeppelin. Now we're nine picks in, not a single song that's of any relevance to anyone listening right now. So, <laughs> so this episode uh, is for true music nerds. So. Exactly. Have an open mind. Learn learn something, go back to Spotify and play some songs. I think the audience uh, is sophisticated enough that some of them, or maybe many of them, will will be familiar with more of these songs than we... I know, I know, I know, I know a few of them and they're not sophisticated, but uh, (laughs) we value your listens anyway. But I will say, I do know some of our listeners actually appreciate when they do hear something that they've never heard before, because some of them have told me that. Like, yes, it's great when you hear uh, sort of validating that Layla was the greatest song of 1970, yeah? But it's also pretty awesome when you're like, wow, that fucking song was great. I've never heard that before. Let me go cue it up. But that's why but, this year is very interesting, very unpredictable. We knew that it would be, but it's even more than I expected. I am going to give our listeners maybe just a little comfort food. A little, nod. nod. A little nod, yeah. Playing something that I believe that they should know. But let's, you know, I guess we'll we'll... Time will tell, right? <laughs> that means it's not um, a song that I like. If they may know it, I got a song. I gotta I, think they know. It. I gotta think they know the song. But I guess we'll find out. This is your pick number four. Yep. <laughs> Continuing in our funk theme, that was Tell Me Something Good by Rufus and Shaka Khan, written by Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder, yep. 
which I don't know, man. I, I mean, I feel like that should be, I mean, they, Rufus and Shaka Khan kill it, especially Shaka Khan kills it, but that could have been a sneaky song, right? Like He's like Bowie, Bruce, these dudes yeah. are so talented. They just give their great they just songs give stuff away. I mean, it's craziness. Like that could have easily been on Intervisions or fulfilling this, right? I mean, easily, but. Shaka Khan's an amazing singer too. Shaka so. Khan just crushes that song. Shaka Khan, like Iraqi, I'm, I'm embarrassed because that's the first time I had ever heard of Shaka Khan was when that video came out. But, you know, obviously I then learned who Shaka Khan was and learned about Rufus. But, yeah, that was my first exposure to Shaka Khan. And we have an early use of the guitar talk box also, which may appear later in some of our 70s episodes. I feel a specific live album, perhaps, maybe. <laughs> Little, I think, that's, I think that's known as foreshadowing. Yes. The guy who played it is named Tony Maiden, so he must be awesome also. Yeah, seriously, with a name like that. So that was the one song that I, I, I have to imagine many of our listeners have heard before. Because, I mean, this was like, an, I don't know if it was the number one song, but it was de- definitely a top song in 1970. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. All right, Floman, you're up. That would be the other Floman. People tend to overlook this version of the band, but the Mach 3 edition of Deep Purple hit a home run with their first album together, highlighted by this scorching lead-off title track, Burn. The first of their three mid-70s albums featuring David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes, who had replaced Ian Gillen and Roger Glover after their disappointing Who Do We Think We Are album. Deep Purple had a knack for kick-ass, high-energy album openers like Speed King, Fireball, and especially Highway Star, and Byrne is as great as any of them, with a phenomenal performance from drummer Ian Pace, a good usage of dual vocals from Coverdale and Hughes, and a surprisingly memorable one-word chorus. Kicks ass, man. I had this on my list, but I was shocked it took this long for one of you guys to pick it, especially you, Scott. I thought this was going to be one of your first couple picks, knowing your love of Deep Purple and, and this song. So Everyone thinks Gillen, right? But they don't think any other incarnations of the band and burn is a freaking phenomenal album and this is the lead off track the signature song and the best song on it so yeah yeah it's a good song that's it 
<laughs> I'm on Team Gillian, by the way. If you hadn't, uh, <laughs> I'm on Team Gillian too. Gillian was back in the '80s, right, with Deep Purple. Yeah, yeah, well, he came back. Sweet Lucy was a dancer for yeah, Gillian, yeah, right? knocking on your back door, Perfect Strangers, and then Blackmore Left was replaced by Steve Morse, and they've been kind of a legit proposition ever since. Gillian's voice isn't what it was, but. Uh, it's still a legit band. But like, a, actually releasing a, albums, touring. Uh, whose voice it's, is what it was? I was going to say, and I took it back, I was going to say his voice is better than Dio's, but I took yeah. it. I take it back. Take sacrilege. It back. Sacrilege. It can only be a tie. I mean, now. I meant now. <laughs> now? <laughs> yeah, it's better now. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Ronnie. All right, so I'm up. All right, double picks. All right, here we go. This is why I didn't pick Burn. Nice. To be clear, it's because I picked a better song. I was kind of hoping this might last to me, but is it awesome? Again, another deep cut, right? From Glorious to Cult, nineteen seventy four, before you know more of their commercial success, which came later. But man, this is uh, this is working, man. You know, two great sort of metal finds from you know again early in the seventies. Again, there's sort of a darkness to it, right? There's a heaviness to it. That probably they never, right, they never hit again, um, both, you know, Rush and Cult, but it's a great part of the legacy. There'll be more Cult, I will assure you there's more Cult coming, you know, later in the decade, but uh, this is where they established their mark. Yeah, this is at the very least their second greatest song. First discovered this when Metallica covered it, right, on Garage Inc. Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to say that. The reason I didn't pick it, is because I feel like the live version on Some Enchanted Evening in 78 
is actually far superior. So this is a, it's hard, a phenomenal it's hard to, song, but not the best version of it, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just hard to save a song like this for a live album. You know, it gets less. You know, live albums generally are, are going to be less. Uh, yeah, no, well, I get it. Well, I get it. Well known and but like definitely again, check that is, out. It's a good pull out. It's more epic. Everything is bigger, and the guitar solo is phenomenal. This version, but it's great. great. This is a great song. Yeah. This is a fucking great song, man. It's metal. It's got that moodiness to it with the keyboards. The vocals are great. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's got it. Again, it's very 70s, you know, hard rock metal song. It's a piece in time, right? Like, you can't recapture stuff like this. You'll never... And Blue Oyster Cult, they're kind of known for like the three songs, right? Don't, you don't need to say it. I don't need to say it, but they, they were kind of a thinking man's hard rock band, right? Astronomy, right? Not your typical song lyrics, right? No. No, but this, again, this song is off the radar, right? Like, but it's a great, it's awesome. Yeah, again, like, you could probably play this song and people wouldn't necessarily know that it's Blue Oyster Cult because they're not used to it. Right. All right. So, um, so we got sure. one song that maybe people have heard of and uh, I'm up again and probably not going to help the cause. And again, I still have one more song to play because I got the outro. Which could be uh, an extra draft pick. To me, it sort of is. The, the way I'm looking at this is I'm, pl- I'm <laughs> definitely playing this song, but you know I don't have to play it now. So if you guys pick it, I'll be fine with that. I'll just let you know that it was my outro. So this song probably it will be um, controversial in terms of the song from the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm guessing it's on your radar for the album, but maybe not the song. But the clip, you know, again, when you hear the clip, you'll be like, yeah, that's, I get it. Interesting. I had a different song, you're right, but probably not the one you're thinking of. I didn't have any of these songs. This is not one of my favorites. Larry is not a fan of this band, from what I recall. No, I am not. No. Well, but again, like, you have to contextualize this incarnation of the band. So that, yeah. and this song, this song is, a, is like part of that. I'm a little that- bit biased to get, you know, on Larry's side, on the, on the band themselves, on themselves, but like, yeah, play the play the clip and then we can talk about like how awesome it is.
All right. If you're a fucking human being, you'd love that clip. If you're not, you know, maybe not. You could have picked a whole bunch of other songs off this album, and I would have definitely given you a, this sucks, but that doesn't suck. That was awesome. That doesn't. Like, that can't suck ever in any world, like, in any in any no, it doesn't person's suck. brain processing. You're going to be like, okay, I get it, right? Like, that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I no, think Larry needs to rethink his Super Tramp hatred because that's a damn maybe, good album. Maybe, maybe, but right again, Super Tramp by their own admission, right? Like they have quote unquote evolved over over time, right? And this this incarnate like this album was a lot more of a progressive, like proggy type of album, right? So while they became and you know look they tried to they they became more commercial and for better or worse like like that that was part of you know some of the songs worked and some didn't but this album is not the super tramp that you know right and and while again dreamer and um what's the other bloody well uh, right right. yeah bloody well right are more well known from the album it's still like when you listen to the album, it's not a commercial. It's not intending to be a commercial album, but it still, you know, has some high points. And that, you know, this song is great. That clip is, uh, we probably don't have too many aspiring artists out there, but if you're listening, goddamn, get a fucking warm player in your band. All right. <laughs> all suckers for sax. So that's a killer sax. So when they had a legit saxophone player in their band and, School was another really good song from that album. Yeah. Hiding Your Shell is the one I actually was thinking. But that song has, a again, there's sort of like a moodiness to there's it. There's a grandness, yeah. Yeah, grandness and dark, like a darkness. And it just, again, that's what music, you know, like that's what I want. That's what I want to get out of music. I want to, I want to feel the music. And that, yeah. it, that makes me feel it. So Larry's totally wrong about Super Trump. He didn't even say anything bad about it, but I didn't say anything bad about this song. The song is good. Bring us. I have boys. a whole bunch of songs, but in keeping with the kind of obscureness of this episode, this next guy has had an amazingly long and productive career. First, with probably the premier UK folk rock band from 1968 to 1970 in Fairport Convention, where he teamed with terrific vocalist Sandy Denny who's perhaps best known for a battle of Evermore cameo with, who else? Led Zeppelin. Then came a dazzling series of albums with his then-wife Linda from 1974 to 1982, who, like Denny, was a superior vocalist. And then post-divorce, he's had a long and productive solo career as a legendary cult artist, who's never really broken into the mainstream, though, again, he does have a cult following, and I suspect he's one of those guys who prefers it that way. A brilliant songwriter and an amazing guitarist. This song shows the great Richard Thompson at his very best. When I get to the bar, Monday morning, Monday morning, closing in on me. I can't help but I'm running away to an important next
I thought the Pogues were the eighties. <laughs> Definitely an influence, <laughs> absolutely. Got the water bars, right? You can hear that pass it forward, right? Richard Thompson's probably you said this before, he's super underrated because he's so you know. Fairport Convention and Richard Thomas are so influential and like and really, Linda really and Linda come on Linda and Linda Dish and Linda Linda too absolutely yeah so that was when I get to the border by Richard and Linda Thompson from their excellent album I want to see the bright light tonight I love the upbeat vibe of the song which is unusual for Richard whose songs are usually <laughs> very depressing in fact one song on the album is called Withered and Died and features the uplifting lyric. My dreams have withered and died. <laughs> That's yeah. more typical of Richard Thompson. Regardless, his guitar playing at the end of this song is simply astonishing. This is exactly the kind of song that I love turning people onto. It's the main reason why I continue to write and podcast about music to turn people onto great music that you'd never hear about from most mainstream outlets. Which I guess is this episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely our, our most outro. For the diehards. Yeah. I, I will say, though, like, you know, even though I want to see the bright lights tonight and Richard Thompson, you know, is usually kind of depressing, it's like a walk in the park in sunshine compared to shoot out the lights. Yeah, that's his divorce album. Yeah, God, that's a rough album. <laughs> Pretty bleak stuff. Yeah. We will have more divorce albums, probably one in 1975. Probably. Thank God we didn't, we didn't play Joni Mitchell, so... I'm okay with Richard and Linda. Horton Spark was definitely on my draft board. You could go with Help Me, Free Man in Paris. But again, you got to go to Apple Music, yeah, blah, 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 right? Like I said, I'm glad, I'm happy with just having the Thompson. So the Thompson we'll, Twins. The Thompson Twins, hold me now. All right. <laughs> All right, Larry, we got the last pick. All right, so in keeping with the theme of this episode, I'm going... I think it's super obscure. I'm assuming Scott will know it. I think Keith might know it, but I'm pretty positive nobody who's listening to this podcast has probably ever heard this song before. But it's classic of the glam rock era. It's very, very weird. As a matter of fact, years ago when I first was listening to this, because I, as I was going through you know, the fabled list, I sent it to my friend Frank, and he without listening to it first, decided to play it like at a party. You know, you had a bunch of people over. I immediately got a text back going, what the fuck, dude? What is wrong with you? So with that intro, here we go.
so that song was This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us by L.A. brother band Sparks off their album Kimono My House. It's a pretty weird fucking song. <laughs> but there's something about it. It's kind of catchy. It's very different. And again, as music nerds, it is our job. It's our duty to make sure that people hear stuff they've never heard before. And, you know, what better way to close out a really messed up year, 1974, than with a really messed up song? A couple of notes about this one. So it's not probably the best vocal performance, right? And the two brothers, you know, had a little bit of a rivalry. So Russell, who, who wrote this, uh, this song, basically, he, he basically told his brother, Ron, this song was written in the key of A. And by God, it's going to be sung in the key of A, even though his brother can't sing in the key. So he just had to do it anyway. Another couple of things that I learned uh, as I was doing some research is that Morrissey loved this album so much that he actually wrote a letter when he was 15 to NME and it, it got published. So he was very proud of that and cited it as a big influence on his uh, career and on the Smiths. You can't hear the influence. No, you can't yeah. hear it at all, but... You know, but Scott, you uh, knew the song, right? Yeah, I knew the song. I like it. It's insane. The vocals, I think, are a little... Let's well, so, be honest. The vocals are pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. It's like a campy mix of new wave and hard rock. And I guess my criticism nitpick would be, like, for that kind of genre, I might have went with Queen, right? Killer Queen or or, the, Queen or the Sweet, right? Fox on the Run instead. But yeah. cool yeah, tune, but, man. But, but that's the thing, though, is that... So Killer Queen was on my list. So was Fox on the Run. But... This this episode has been too weird. I can't. Everyone knows. Killer this is Queen. definitely weird. Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah, the weirder yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah I, I had to go. I had to close this out with a super bizarre song. So, I Killer Queen. Everyone knows that. That would have been that would have been innovative. Come on. Were you ready to hit the outro? I do not like this song at all. Go fuck I love this song. This dude like, can tell the story. I, I get it. I get the sentiment. I it definitely hits us. It's just it's like. I don't know. It's hitting you. It's hitting you in the face. No, it's. I didn't like the song beforehand. I. It's just. It's almost. Like, it's, it's like too much. Like overruled. You could totally predict the. Cut. Cut. Cut his, cut his mic. Cut his mic. Cut his mic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who controls the music. So anyway, I will play it. But I'm just telling you. I just feel like. I. I, I look. I get the hokiness. I get. I get it. But I can't avoid. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes me a little misty eyed every time I hear right? it. Like, I, I gotta, you know it. You know that it's yeah. manipulative. Totally. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. All right. I'll just go ahead and play it.
wow, if, if you're not moved by that song, you have no heart, soul, anything. You're, you're a dead person. You're a bad Larry, person. what do you think? What do you think? Awesome. Hey, man. That's that's fine. I'm 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 perfectly comfortable with living with no soul and no heart. That's fine. <laughs> All right, so that's it for this episode. Hope everyone enjoyed the song draft of the best songs of 1974. Have a good night, everyone. Night, everyone. Awesome.